This is Bible Chat. Welcome to Bible Chat, guys. I'm glad to be back for episode two. Um, <clears throat> just a warning before we get too far in. I have a bit of a cold, so if you hear me sniffling and snuffling, I really do apologize. I, But I wanted to get another episode out before too long. Uh, I haven't heard from any of you guys yet, um, but that's okay. Trust me, I have plenty of ideas. I just, I really am looking forward to you guys sending in. So don't be shy. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, you know that you can get a hold of me on Facebook, Patreon, or through email, and uh, I'll update all that stuff again at the end so so that you guys know how to get a hold of me. Um, so today, <clears throat> I wanted to look at just the theme of captivity, but mostly we're going to focus on uh, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and their restoration of the temple and the walls of Israel. Um, and so... Without further delay, let's go ahead and dig in. Around Christmas time, there's a song that comes up um, a little bit before Christmas, typically, if people are being uh, correct about the seasons during the season of Advent. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs, actually, for that time of year. It's called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the song. Um, but it, it has... A really deep meaning. It really does. And sometimes I think we lose it because it gets lost in the shuffle of Christmas music, just like most of the Christmas songs, we kind of lose some of the meaning too. But uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's a reflection of the heart of God's people. It's a plea for the Father to free his people from captivity. The words actually go, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, obviously, the song is not written by the ancient Israelites, but it's definitely written from their point of view. The song is a plea for God to rescue his children from the captivity of the, of the Persians. Now, anyone who is in any way familiar with the Old Testament knows that the Hebrews were constantly in and out of captivity. Whether it's the Persians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, whoever, the children of Israel were constantly put into captivity. And then God would free them, and not too much later on, they would get back in captivity. It was a cycle that repeated itself all the way into the New Testament, and there we find them in Roman captivity. And this song comes into play. When you think it over, it's strange that these people kept finding themselves captive to other nations, being subjected to pagan rule. I mean, they are the chosen of God, aren't they? God loves them. They're his people. 
Why does this keep happening? Well, if you're following along in your Bible, and I hope you are, go to Second Chronicles 36, and we'll start in verse 14 to 16. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. You see, <clears throat> right here in this text, this is right before the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Notice it says that both the priests and the people were unfaithful. They had adopted the sins of the world. Now, the Christian Standard Bible translate it this, translates it this way, imitating all the detestable practices of the nations. You see, all the people, both in the church and the nation of Israel, had fallen away from God. They had become just like the rest of the world. God had called them to be separate, to be pure, be holy. They were supposed to be his people, different from all others. Instead, they became just like the world. They had not only defiled themselves, but had brought the sin, ignorance, and teachings of the world into the temple and defiled it. And the people continued in this way, despite the chances that God offered them to turn back. Despite the word of the preachers that God had sent them, and it resulted in God finally removing his protection from the people. He let them fall. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. And there you have it, the people in captivity again, and for the same reason as every other time, they turned away from God. And I would say that in many ways, the American church is in captivity. When the American Anglican church has just been suspended from the Worldwide Council for its moral ambiguity. The Methodist Church is poised to split entirely over the liberal movement in their doctrine. And the Pope, as the supposed head of the church, openly speaks heresy and goes against biblical doctrine, saying things like, atheists will go to heaven, and that it's okay for women to have an abortion as long as they go and have confession after. I mean, all this is not to mention the rise of the corruption in megachurches, the child abuse scandals that have run rampant in the church community, and all sorts of other scandals. I mean, I think it's safe to say that the church is in captivity to the world. It's certainly not separate. And 
And what is the church? I'm not talking about denominations. I'm not talking about Catholicism. I'm definitely not talking about, you know, buildings. I mean us, the people, Christians. We are in captivity to the world, and we don't even know it. I mean, most of us aren't even spiritually awake enough to to realize it. And that's the thing about captivity. It can be comfortable. We don't think of it that way. We, we give it a, a negative connotation and think, oh, no, they must have suffered, and it must have been so horrible for them. And some, maybe, the ones that were spiritually awake, but not the majority. I mean, the majority of the Hebrews were really comfortable in captivity. Unlike the Egyptians who enslaved the Hebrews, the Babylonians, the Persians, and later the Romans had all learned that it's easier to rule people when they're happy. And so here in the story we're going to look into, you'll find that the Israelites were so happy in their captivity that they forgot who they were. It wasn't like how we picture it. The people weren't starved, weren't scraggly homeless people standing around in the rain with long nasty beards begging for change. No. In Babylon, Babylon and Persian rule, people were allowed to own their own businesses. They were successful. The Jews were allowed to worship God as long as they also bent the knee to the captive gods. They were completely enveloped into the culture, accepted. They were grafted in. And I think, again, it's easy to highlight that in our lives. I mean, I know it, I know it is for me. What do we surround ourselves with? What's our entertainment? What's our prayer life like? You know, what do we spend our time thinking about, dreaming about? What's our heart set on? Do we really want what God wants for us most of the time? Are we driven by our own motivations? Make money, be successful, get educated. You know, or are we open to where God moves us? Are we captive to our cultural norms? Or are we really following the will of God in our lives? So, what did the people do after they got a little tired of captivity? Well, God convicted them, and they, with the permission of the king, returned Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. In Ezra 1.5 it says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. There was a conviction on some people. God stirred their heart. That's the thing. God doesn't let his people be comfortable in their sin. It may be fun for a while, It may bring temporary pleasure, but he's going to get your attention. He did there in that story. He pricked their hearts and stirred them up. And I know that that's true for us. I know that if we really truly are Christians, even though we may get distracted, we may fall into sin, we may backslide, however you want to term it. There comes a point where it stops being fun, where everything starts to feel hollow. And we're, if, if we're open again to God's movement and we haven't allowed ourselves to apostatize, uh, he will get our attention. 
And and so it was great. Ezra went to, he returned to Jerusalem and he rebuilt the temple. And now Jerusalem had a temple again. That's awesome. Just like America, we have a lot of churches. Isn't that great? A lot of people go to church every Sunday, just like the Jews could now go to temple on the Sabbath. And they could pray there, they could have their ceremonies, they could keep their traditions just like we do. But here's the thing. They're still in captivity. Not just to Persia, but to sin. And the church or the temple isn't going to fix that. I mean, just having a building where you can go and go through religious rituals doesn't mean that everything's okay now. And just like us, most of us I, I trust that are listening to this podcast right now, we go to church. You know, we we worship God. We pay lip service to God, but what's going on on the inside? I'm going to skim a little bit here and move down to uh, Ezra chapter 9. And, and this is where the next problem shows up. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. The problem was that even though they had a church now, their worship meant nothing. The people were still living in sin. Sure, they worshipped. In earlier chapters, they had offered sacrifices. They had kept the feasts. They had done everything outwardly. But spiritually, they were still bankrupt. They had married the people from surrounding nations. and They had had children with them. That may not sound like a big deal, but God had called them to be separate from all others. They were supposed to be his people, his alone. He had called them to be different from all other people, separate, pure, and holy. That should sound familiar. But they had married the world. They had become part of the world. Come out from among them and be separate, God says. But instead, they had flirted with the world and then found themselves married to it. And so often, that is what we as Christians find ourselves doing as well. We aren't content to be different from the world. We aren't content with the thing, things God gives us. We aren't content with what he'll provide. We aren't content with staying within his grace. And so we go and we flirt with sin. We tempt ourselves to sin with our entertainment. We tempt ourselves to sin by just having a, a drink of alcohol but not getting drunk. We tempt ourselves to sin with the things we look at in magazines. We tempt ourselves to sin with what we look at online. But here's the thing. Where we may be content to flirt with sin, sin is not content with flirtation. Where we plant the seeds of sin, those seeds take root and grow. And that is what happened to Israel. And now they were so married to the world, they couldn't even worship properly. It's important to realize that the temple itself had no power. The temple, the church, it's just a building. Without the people then and now being sanctified and holy, there is no 
power in the church. God will not accept half-hearted people. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. But that is what the church and the people of God tried to do here. And it is so often what we try to do now. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Friedrich Nietzsche. But because of recent movies and things in the media, a lot of people are familiar with his quote, God is dead. There's actually a whole story behind that quote, which is only one line of the story. While I won't read the whole story for time's sake, I will share a couple lines. And this is what Nietzsche wrote. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I am looking for God! I am looking for God! As many of those who did not believe in God were standing there, he excited considerable laughter. Have you lost him then, said one. Did he lose his way like a child, said another. Where is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage or immigrated? Thus they shouted and laughed. The madman sprang into their midst and pierced them with his glances. Where is God gone, he cried. I shall tell you. We have killed him, you and I. We are his murderers. It has been further related that on that same day, the madman entered divers' churches and there sang a requiem. Let out and quietened, he is said to have retorted each time, What are these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchres of God? You see, although Nietzsche was hardly a Christian, he recognized the lack of power in the church even in his day. And the same was true at this time in Israel. So, what did they do? They had a revival. In Ezra 10 it says, While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the lands. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as he had been said. So they took the oath. Now skip down to verse 9 and it says, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is time of heavy rain. 
We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let in, let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come out at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God is over, over this matter is turned away from us. Man, I love revival. Don't you? It's exciting to hear some fired up preaching, to open ourselves up to God, to let him move us. It's fun to be excited about church, about the special services. I know a lot of people make a lot of special decisions and they make special commitments to God. I know that I have before. I've done some serious soul searching during revivals. But here's the thing. If we're not careful... We get all caught up in the emotionalism, the music, the preaching, the extra services. And a little while later, after the initial excitement fades and we're left to our own devices, we're right back where we were before. God breaks our change and instead of standing up and shaking them off, we put them right back on again. And unfortunately, that's what happened here in Ezra. Later on, we find out in Nehemiah that the people were still married to foreign women. They hadn't stopped there. Some of the priests, you'll read in Nehemiah chapter 13, had married foreign women and had children with them. And become so worldly that their own children didn't know how to speak Hebrew. These were the priests of God. They were supposed to be holy men. And they were so wrapped up in the world that their own children didn't even know their own language. If you're looking for true revival, revival of your spirit, a deeper connection with God, if you have a coldness and a barrier between you and God, and this is preaching to me as well, if you desire his presence in your life, look in Nehemiah. I'm going to be flipping through a lot of scriptures, and I hope you go back and read them yourself. But here... You see, after Ezra's revival, the walls of Israel were still down. It was great that Israel had a church again, but they were still vulnerable. The people were still sinful, and the work wasn't complete. So God sent Nehemiah to complete the walls of Jerusalem, and together, throughout the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah get the people back into shape. The first thing you need to do to rebuild that connection between you and God is to get back into his word. Nehemiah chapter 8, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on that first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They listened to God's word. To rebuild that connection, to become sensitive to God's leading, we have to allow him to speak to us through his word. So often today, we have our attention split a million different ways. We are constantly being distracted by entertainment, work, hobbies, whatever. We don't make time for the Word of God, but we have time for games, 
for television, for movies. We have time for entertainment. You know, one of my favorite preachers is Leonard Ravenhill. And he was a preacher back in the 80s and the 70s and, and you know, that whole time. And he has a saying that winds up in a lot of his messages. He used to say, I believe that entertainment is the devil's substitution for joy. I believe that the closer you are to God, the more joy you will have and the less entertainment you will need. I believe there's a lot of truth to that. The next thing that you'll see the people did in Nehemiah is they repaired their relationship with God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. They confessed their sins, not just the sins they committed, but the sins of their nation. Their hearts were broken, and they prayed, and they acknowledged their sin and how they had wandered, and then they worshipped God. Verses 6 through 8 say, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. In verse 17, But you are a God, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Verse 32, Now therefore our God, the great and the mighty and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. The last thing they did, which we just read, and what we need to do to rebuild our intimacy between our hearts and God, is recognize their sin, their bondage to it, their weakness. And they turned it all over to God. We need to do the same. 
We need to give up our pride, give up our desires, give up our selfishness, and give it to God. You cannot have power in your life. You cannot have victory over sin. You cannot impact the world. You cannot have the presence of God without surrender. You cannot serve God and the world. In Nehemiah 12.43, we see the result of the people's obedience. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You see, they had true revival. They had separated themselves from the world. They had given up their sin. They had gotten rid of entertainment and worldly pleasure. And they had discovered true joy. God had given them joy. Look, they celebrated so loud it was heard far away. They had a barn burner. (laughs) Their joy was powerful. Other people could hear it, see it. They were already impacting the world with their joy, with the presence of God. I hope that we can find that in America again. I hope that America's churches finally turn back to God's word, that they truly confess their sin, and that they acknowledge and seek the mercy of God and surrender to him with their whole heart and find joy in the presence of God again. That they replace the cheap entertainment of uh, big music and you know big names and talking heads and you know, whatever programs they're running, and instead just bow under the direction of God. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having a great music program, having entertainment, I guess, in the church. But there's something wrong where the entertainment replaces the actual worship and ministry of the church. Well, maybe you're listening to this and you're in another kind of captivity. Maybe you've never come to God. Maybe you scoff at church, scoff at religion. Maybe you're even listening to this just to make fun of me. I don't know. Maybe you're completely lost in the world and trapped in sin. Let me tell you, you're never really going to be happy there. Sure, you may have some fun, some laughs, but at the end of the day, you're empty, you're hollow. There's a place for you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He knows your pain. God made you after all. He knows everything about you, about the emptiness that you're feeling. He loves you and wants to fill that spot in your heart. He loved you so much he sent his son to die so that you can come to him. If you're listening to this and that's you, please just let go. Let go and let the love of Christ fill your heart. Surrender your sin to him. Let him save you from the hell that waits on the other side of sin. Well, guys, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back from you guys. So if if you want to give me any feedback on this episode, any any corrections, or uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes, reach out to me. I've got three ways for you to get a hold of me. The first is through email at BibleChatPodcast 
84 at gmail.com. You can shoot me an email with any ideas or any criticisms, whatever. I'm just looking forward to hearing from you. Or if you're on social media and you want to get a hold of me on Facebook, just go to my page, Bible Chat. Uh, you can message me there or follow the page. Uh, I'm posting a lot of quotes from different uh, church leaders. Um, right now, I, I hope to eventually get some articles out there as well. But um, for right now, it's just mostly quotes, and I'm just looking forward to, to hearing from you guys. Also, uh, if you feel so moved, you can get a hold of me on Patreon, uh, and uh, you can support the bo- uh, the podcast there. Um, on Patreon, it's Bible Chat Podcast, and you should be able to find the page there and links to this website, that uh, my Anchor website, as well as the Facebook page, and um, I have a couple tiers on there if you want. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to hearing from you guys, hearing some feedback and um, any ideas or things that you're curious about and want to learn about. Um, And, well, I guess until next time, this is Caleb, and you're listening to the Bible Chat Podcast. See you next time.